Acts, the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So it's these last two verses, verses 46 and 47, that we are concentrating on. So continuing daily, and then the last part of verse 47, the Lord added to the church. So this series was entitled Back to Basics, and we're going to kind of wrap this series up. Going back and reminding you that these are to be the basics of our daily living. So this isn't just about how we order our services on Sunday or checking off a list of things that we need to make sure that we do, whether it be on Sunday morning or throughout our lives. This really is a description of our lifestyle, and it is about what our life should be, what it should convey, what it should communicate, what should be seen by the world around us when they look at our life. And so we started this um, last message last week, and we got up to this point where we, we said this, that there is not a quick or easy fix. So when we talk about these things, when we talk about the issues that the church is facing today, which kind of takes us to the issues that our nation is facing today, our nation is facing certain issues because the church is facing those same issues and, and is not dealing with them uh, in a proper way. And when we say the church, we have to bring that down to something other than a building or an institution or some you know, organizational hierarchy. We have to bring that down to our own lives. How are you? How am I handling these things every day? How am I walking this out? How am I loving? How am I communicating the gospel? How am I being faithful to Jesus? How am I keeping his commands? How am I loving him? How am I showing the world his love for me? And so in his grace, we are called for hard work, hard warfare, great joy, and great glory. So we have this paradox in the scripture, for instance, uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this, it's recorded, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are, and are heavy laden, who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light, and my yoke is easy. He wants to give us rest, he says, for our souls. So we have this, this truth on one hand that says we come to Jesus and we find our ultimate rest 
and we abide in the reality of that rest. But we also have, and we're going to read some of these scriptures today, where Paul, the apostle, talks about his work, his labor, his striving. And we're called to work, to labor, and to strive. At the very same time, we're called to enter into his rest. If we don't understand who Jesus is and what our salvation is, that can be a very confusing thing. How do I rest and work at the same time? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And if we don't understand that, we're never going to find joy in our life either because our life is going to be this burdensome labor that I've entered into and I'm going to grow weary and tired and discouraged and frustrated because I can't seem to, I'm I'm just always striving, never able to find any rest. And if that defines our life, we're never going to enter into and find his joy either. So these issues, this reality of what our life is to be, the basics of our Christian life, These are life and death issues. It's serious business. It's hard work. It's hard warfare. The Apostle Paul says we're in a spiritual battle. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against powers and principalities. And he tells us, stand fast. Stand in the armor of God. Put on the armor and stand in the armor. And after you've done all to stand, stand therefore. Keep standing. Keep resisting the evil one. In your faith, resist him. So this is, this is work. It's warfare. It's the messy and the brutal reality of sin and sinful men. Remember, we're talking about sin that sent Jesus, the Son of God, to the cross and crucified him. When we look over the landscape, whether it's our life or corporately at the church, we're not talking about things that can be fixed just by adding another program or changing this. Let's change the lighting. It'll make people feel better. Hey, you know, make the music a little bit more up-tempo and get them a little more excited and they'll feel a little bit better. Yeah, well, that doesn't do you any good when you go back out into the world and everything is built on being hyped up and pumped up if Christ is not your joy if Christ is not your motivation if you can't find his joy if you can't know his power if you can't see by his light even in the darkest of valleys and in the darkest of places then you have I have no real hope This is what the scripture is telling us. This is what the scripture is communicating to us. There is real hope. There is real light. There is real power. And there is real life to be found in Jesus. It's not found in in temporal things. It's not found in the things that we typically want to add to and change and do to give us the illusion that it's all better. But in reality, it's not. Because when you go back out into the world, when you walk through these doors and you go back out into your world, for a lot of people, this is their escape. 
And so, pastor, what I want you to do is just uh, anesthetize me and just make me numb to everything for a couple of hours so I can just get a couple of hours of relief because I know I'm going to have to go back out into the world and face it again. No, listen, God wants to give you more than just a couple of hours of relief. God wants to equip you to go back out into the world and to overcome. He wants you to be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and know that your shepherd is there and have the joy of the Lord as your strength and know that he is leading you to a higher place and he has prepared before you a table even in the presence of your enemies. He wants you to have that hope, not as a fleeting hope, but as an abiding, real hope that is grounded in the depths of your soul and of who you are. And so we have to realize that what we're facing is the reality of what sin has done to the world, what sin has done to us, but But in Christ, we've been redeemed from sin. We have overcome our sin. We have been delivered from death and we have overcome death. It has no power over us. But we're still dealing with the world that is in bondage to sin. And there are men and women and children, people all around us who are living their lives in bondage to sin. And we see the fruit of that. We see the wages of that. The wages of sin is death. We see the wages of that in every way all around us. And so for the answer, the answer the church needs to provide is not, not external things that mean nothing, that just give an illusion, that just make our flesh feel better. What the church has got to provide is what God has given to her. We have got to provide the gospel. Well, how do we provide that? We provide it in every way. Not just with preaching from a pulpit, but, but we've got to have it in our own life. We've got to live it and walk it out and know it into the depths of our soul. And so when I say this is about the messy and the brutal reality of sin, that's what I mean. But our work and our warfare, even though that is the reality, we're dealing with the issues of life and death because of sin, the reality of sin. And it defines our work and it defines our warfare. But the Bible is very clear that that our work and our warfare is also filled with great joy and great glory. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. He has overcome sin and he has overcome death. And Christ reigns as Lord over all. When Peter was called to the home of Cornelius, the the Roman centurion, this is recorded in Acts chapter 10. Peter, this devout Jew, is up on the rooftop praying. And these people come to the house that he's at, the house of Simon the Tanner. And, And they come and they say, our master has called you. He had an angel appear to him and he had a dream and, and God says that you're to come to his house. And, and right before those guys knock on the door and come to Paul, Paul has his vision from the Lord and, and God lowers this sheet and all these unclean things are in there and God tells Peter, kill and eat. In other words, God says, Peter, go get that bacon and fry it up and go ahead and enjoy it. No, God forbid, Lord, you know nothing unclean's ever touched my lip. I don't eat bacon, Lord. God says, it's okay, Peter, get that bacon and cook it up. It's all right. 
Don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. About that time, here's this knock. And these Gentiles want Peter the Jew to come to the house of this Roman centurion, which was against the law. But God had just told him, don't call anything unclean that I've cleaned, that I've made clean. And so Peter goes to this house. He gets to the house and he says, you know, this is against the law for me to even be in this house. But God has called me here. And Peter begins to preach this sermon. And before Peter can even finish preaching the sermon, the Holy Spirit falls and, 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 and they're gloriously saved. And Peter sees it with his eyes that God has saved the Gentiles in the very same manner and given them the Spirit of God just like he gave to the Jews. But Peter makes the statement to Cornelius. He says, this Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. The Bible teaches us, it tells us that Jesus is Lord of all. He's either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And the Bible is clear that he is Lord of all. This is the Lord we serve. This is the Lord Jesus who has overcome death, who has overcome sin. This is why we have a reason to be hopeful. This is why we have a reason to rejoice always because we have been called by and commanded to go by the Lord of all. And that's exactly who he is. He is the Lord of all. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, you have put all things, I read this actually, if you're paying attention, this was from Psalm 8. And so the writer of Hebrews is quoting the psalm and talking about Jesus You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? So when you watch the news, if you watch the news, when you read the newspaper, if you read the newspaper, when you, however you gather your news and you see news of wars and you see news of terrorists doing unspeakably heinous uh, acts of terrorism and murder and barbary to, to people, when you see disasters and you see death and mayhem all around, do you see that or do you see Jesus? In the midst of that reality of our world, are you focused only on that or do you know that he is Lord of all? When you see the reports of the war and the mayhem and the murder and the chaos, can you see Jesus even though that is a reality? This is what the the writer of Hebrews is telling us. We don't yet see all things in subjection to him, but we know all things have been put under him. We don't see all things under him, but we see Jesus. And if we can see Jesus, who is Jesus? He is the Lord of all. What does the scripture say that God has done? God has put all things under Jesus All things are in subjection to Jesus. Yeah, but I don't see all things under that. Don't worry about that. 
The, the important thing is, do you see Jesus? Because if you can see Jesus, then you can know. How can, you, how can I know, pastor? Because this is what the Bible tells us. You're going you're gonna to believe NBC and CBS and ABC and CNN and even Fox. You're going to believe that, but you're not going to believe the scripture. Because when we, when we believe what we see and when we believe what we hear reported by the world, what we're really saying is, I believe the world more than I believe God. Because the world is telling me constantly, God is not in control. ISIS is in control. UN is in control. Men are in control. Death and destruction is in control. Greed and power is in control. How do you know? Look, look all around. Look what men are doing in the name of greed and power. And Yeah, but, but here's what the Bible says. Ah, oh, you believe the Bible? Man, the Bible's just... That's just a myth, man. That's just a, some book by a bunch of men wrote or some guy wrote. They were all stoned sitting around a fire and just wrote a good story. You know how many times I've heard that in my life? Because I actually used to believe that myself. That's not who we are. Do you call yourself Christian? Do you, have you taken the name Christian I'm talking to you about the basics of living the Christian life, the basics of being a Christian. If you have taken the name Christian, if you go by that name, you cannot believe the world over what God has declared. And God has not said there is not war and there is not murder and there is not death and there is not destruction. He didn't say that. He said it abounds. It's, 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 the world is full of it because the world is still under the crush of the curse of sin. But here's what he did say. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The writer of Hebrews says, we know that God has put all things under Jesus. Jesus is now elevated and he rules above. Even though we don't see all things under and subjected to Jesus, we see Jesus. So my question, do you see Jesus? We're called to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who endured su the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We're called to hold loosely and count as loss the things of this world as we press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul the apostle penned those words in his letter to the Philippians, let me read some of this to you. Philippians chapter 3. Go with me there. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 7, Paul writes, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence. should underline that word in your Bible right there for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss 
of all things and count them as rubbish. You should underline that word in your Bible. You see that Paul is contrasting the excellence, which is the knowledge of Christ, with with the rubbish of all that he once held important in the world. And why did he do that? That he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having, he says, my own righteousness, which is from the law, but, but that which is from faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. <laughs> then he writes this in, in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of his sufferings. Now this is a continuous thought. He said, I have, I'm going to take you back. He said, I have counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. I have counted them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith He continues, that I may know him and the power. I've counted all things lost that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And by any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I Press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Oh, listen, I want you to pay close attention to verse 12. Paul says, I press on that I may lay hold. Listen, we are called to lay hold of something. Paul was pressing on. He was pressing through that he could lay hold of something. What was it that he was going to lay hold of? He was going to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of him. Do you get that? Paul was able to press on to lay hold of something he was to lay hold of. He was able to do that. He was motivated to do that. He was empowered to do that because he knew that Christ had laid hold of him for that very purpose. In other words, Christ wasn't, Paul wasn't doing this on his own. Paul didn't just get a bright idea one day and decide, you know what? I'm tired of pursuing this. I think I'm going to press toward this. Paul understood that Christ laid hold of him. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem man. And in the fullness of time, when Paul was on his way to Damascus to arrest and to kill Christians, Jesus Christ knocked him off his high horse, literally, and revealed himself to him and laid hold of him. And he says, this, Paul, is why I'm laying hold of you, so that you will lay hold of that prize, that goal. The same reason Christ has laid hold of you so that you will press forward, that you will press on to lay hold of that thing for which Christ laid hold of you. Brethren, he says in verse 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that's the rubbish, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, that's the excellence. 
He said, I'm leaving the rubbish behind and I'm reaching forward and pressing forward to the excellence, which is the knowledge of Christ. Not knowledge that I've already attained to, but knowledge that I am attaining and pressing ahead to and coming to see and coming to know and coming to experience in greater and greater measure as I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, that includes us, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. If this is not your mindset today, if you name the name of Christ and you call yourself a Christian and this is not your mindset right now, I pray that God would reveal that to you and God would begin to work in you and and begin to show you that this must become your mindset. This wasn't exclusive to Paul. It was not exclusive to the early church. This is for all who call themselves Christian. This is for every child of God. This is what God expects us to grow up into in Christ. So to gain Christ and to be found in him is literally a life or death issue for all involved. And do you realize that all are involved? whether they realize it, whether they believe it or not. As God's children, though, we must believe this. Therefore, we cannot shirk our responsibility, nor should we want to. Instead, we who believe, we who in faith see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? In faith, do you see Jesus? Are you walking by faith and not by sight? We who in faith, see Jesus, should find our greatest adventure, our greatest joy, and our greatest purpose in the cause of Christ and his kingdom. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Do you desire that? I hope you do. Our walk and our warfare are hard, but they're not complicated. There's a difference between complicated work and hard work. Listen, what we have before us is hard, but it's not complicated. It will require perseverance. But it's, it's not so complex that, that we can't comprehend it. No, we have the mind of Christ. As we work and as we war, it is God's desire that we are filled with the fullness of his joy to the fullness of his glory. We're called to continue daily. Remember, we read this in Acts. They continued daily, steadfastly. We're called to continue daily to press onward in victory. Why? Because Christ has already won us the victory. Yep, Pastor Jeff, you just said we're in a war. Yes, we are. But the outcome is not in question. The outcome of your life is not in question. If you are in Christ, you have been predestined to be conformed to his image. You have eternal life right now. Not one day when you get to heaven, you have it right now. 
In Christ, it is granted us to do the work and wage the war, knowing that the joy is fully ours while the glory is fully his. So in his grace, we're called to abide in him and so continue in his work and in his joy. In John 15, Jesus gives the parable of the vine and the branches. And in that parable that Jesus is giving to his disciples just before he's arrested to be crucified, Jesus Jesus says these words to his disciples in verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We're called to abide in Jesus. Jesus in verse 1 says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. So we're called to abide in Jesus. Then in verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So you've heard Caleb quote Augustine before. Augustine says, love God with all your heart and do what, do whatever you want. Some people hear that and they think it's, no, you can't do that. No, you absolutely can't do that. If you love, love God with all your heart and then do whatever you want. If you love God with all your heart, you're not going to want to do anything except that which will glorify God and be consistent with your love for him and his love for you. You can do whatever you want. You have that freedom. Just make sure you love God with all your heart. And you'll never have to be worrying about what you're doing and what you want to do. Right? Right. So Jesus calls us to abide in him. And he says, he says, look, look, look what he says here in verse 11, John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He also said this. He said, by this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit. Love one another as I have loved you. There's the fruit. We can, we can reduce the fruit down to one word, love. Jesus says, look, here's the fruit. You love me with all your heart. And you love one another as I have loved you. So in his grace... And ultimately for his glory, we are filled with his joy as we continue in his work. This is what we are created and called to do. So whatever your vocation or work, whether you're a farmer or a welder or a teacher or a banker or a plumber or a receptionist or an administrator or a mother or a father, homemaker, a student or a pastor, Whatever your vocation might be for the moment or maybe for the rest of your life. People do change vocations, right? Your work is part of his work. So whatever God has called you to do right now, whatever you might find yourself doing right now, your work is part of his work. It's part of his work 
and his working in us. So we don't separate our vocation from his work or from his working in us or from his joy. So I promise you this, my vocation as a pastor, it's my work. It's the work I love to do, but it's also the work of God. And so what I mean by that, not just because I read the Bible and talk about spiritual things, I'm saying that as I do my work as a pastor, God is doing his work in me. So God works in me as I have to, whether it's preparing a sermon or reading or studying the Bible or dealing with people. People can be frustrating even for pastors. Do you guys realize that? And God has to do work in me to help me, to remind me that not everybody is where I am. And so God reminds me that I need to have love and I need to have patience and I need to have gentleness and understanding. Those things don't just come naturally for us because they're not part of our human nature. Those things are contrary to our sin nature. They're they're consistent with our sin nature. They're contrary to our sin nature. So impatience is, is consistent with my sin nature. Harshness is consistent with my sin nature, my human nature. But patience, that's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is, is the fruit of God's Spirit. And so, whether you're tinkering with an automobile and you can't get that bolt to go in there the right way and you've tried for a week and your whole repair job is contingent upon getting this bolt to go in there the right way, And your temptation to become impatient and to take a can of gasoline and just torch your car because you're so frustrated. God works in you, in your vocation. Teacher, as you teach children, God's working in you and he's working through you. He's working in you to be more loving and patient and caring as you strive to love and be patient and caring for your students. Do you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't work separate from our vocations. He, it is his work and it is his working in us. And it should be our joy. So we're not a farmer or a teacher or a homemaker by day and a Christian by night. This is not like a Superman in the phone booth type thing. You are a Christian working at your working out your salvation. This is what Paul this is what Paul talks about in his letter to the Philippians. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians two twelve, verse thirteen, for it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So we're not a farmer, teacher, homemaker our pastor by day and a Christian by night. You're a Christian working out your salvation while God works in you as you farm or teach or parent or do whatever it is you do. Christ is your life and Christ is to define all we are and all that we do in and 
and outside of our vocation. This is the life of the Christian. In God's sovereign grace, he has called us to our various vocations and stations in life. It is in our various vocations and stations that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling while holding to the promise that it is God working in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God gave me the privilege to be a commissioned salesman for many years. I mean, I had no floor whatsoever, no guarantees, but I also had no ceiling. Now, I can tell you, I I hit bottom a lot more than I reached for the stars or attained the stars. But it taught me invaluable lessons. It literally taught me how to live by faith. And there is no doubt when I look back through much of, and you can ask my wife, I was a miserable soul many times back in those days. But I look back now and I see how God worked in so many ways by placing me for that season of my life in that vocation. And God does the same with us. He's doing the same with you right now. He's doing the same with me right now. I may be a pastor for the rest of my life until Jesus calls me home. I hope I am. That's my plan. But if I ever think that I've arrived, if I ever think that God's not working in me through my work as a pastor, I've become deceived. God absolutely is working in me. The sermons I preach to you, I preach to myself. The work I call you to do, the, 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 the times that I exhort you to Seek the face of God for God to change your heart and do a work in you. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. <clears throat> because God is doing a work in all of us. I got to hurry because Ephraim told me to be short today. You understand what I'm saying? God is working in and through everything. This is our life as a believer. This is what God does. So we need to know that God is working his glory for our joy in and through all things as we abide in him. This is basic to who we are as believers. This is basic to our life. In his grace, Jesus commands us. He commands his disciples to go and to make disciples this is what we see when we read these last verses of acts chapter 2 this is exactly what we see the church doing they continued daily it says in the temple and from house to house they didn't just go to the temple they went from house to house somehow some way daily i don't know if it meant they had a church service every day maybe not but every day they were preaching the gospel they were living the gospel they were communicating and shining forth the reality of jesus life in them whether it was at the marketplace or in a home or in the temple or at their jobs in their vocations paul was a tent maker you think the only time paul ministered the gospel and showed forth the glory of christ was when he was in a schoolroom or a synagogue preaching no when he was making tents he was doing that so wherever you are whatever you're doing this is what we're called to do jesus commands us 
as disciples to go and to make disciples. The great commission recorded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This command is basic to every believer, and to all the church is. God's word cannot lose its power. But remember, we may lose or leave our first love. I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but we can become distracted and our attention drawn to other things and our affections drawn to other things, but God is always there by his spirit, bringing us back, calling us back. And that is exactly, I believe, what God is doing right now, not just here, but in his church and in his people. And we know this is true because we're here today having this talk. So the disciples were obedient to the command of Jesus and our presence here and our talk here today and our sharing the scripture is proof of that. We are the fruit of their obedience and the power of the gospel. So his disciples lovingly obeyed the command of Jesus. They preached the gospel. They made disciples and the Lord added to the church daily. Our prayer and our expectation should be that as we abide in Christ, as we continue daily, as we steadfastly live this gospel, as we become and as we make disciples, the Lord will add to the church daily those who are being saved and God will be glorified in his church. So in his grace, we labor and we strive according to his working, which works in us mightily. So here's this paradox again. We're called to his rest, but we're called to his work. Paul writes this in Colossians 1, 28, 29. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So in his grace, we rest in the truth that we are called to labor and strive according to his working, which works in us mightily. The best way I can think of this is, is, is if I'm going to dig a hole, there's a couple of ways I can do it. I have lots of shovels at my house. And shovels are good for digging holes. But you know what's better? A backhoe's better. So I've got a neighbor on one side that's got a backhoe, and I've got a neighbor on the other side that has a backhoe. And so whenever I need to dig a hole that's more than maybe planting a tree or something, I call my neighbor and I say, hey, neighbor, can I use your backhoe? Now, I'm still digging the hole. I'm still doing work. But there is a power that's working on my behalf, that is empowering me to do my work in a way that I could not do in and of myself. 
This is the picture I see when Paul says, I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I am doing a work, but it's not my power and ultimately not my strength that's getting it done. There is a power greater than me. There is a strength greater than me that enables me to do this work in a much more efficient and glorious way. So in his grace, we rest in the truth that we are called to labor and to strive according to his working, which works in us mightily to present every man perfect in Christ should become a labor of love in each of us as we trust and rest in his power and in his grace. This is discipleship and it begins in our own heart and life first. You can't make a disciple until you become a disciple. I didn't say you had to be a perfect disciple, but you've got to settle it within yourself that you are a disciple of Jesus and you are growing up and maturing in him. We're called to daily take this message to the world, to those around us, in every way, in word and in deed. We must always remember that we have a message of hope, we have a message of joy, and we have a message of love. And our message is the gospel of Christ, and it is the power of God to salvation. And in that message, we have a reason to hope, we have a reason to rejoice, and we have a reason to continue. Why? Because Paul says hope doesn't disappoint because it's been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit of God. And joy always rejoices. And the Bible says love never fails. And if we know love never fails, if we know God never fails, and we know that God lives in us, then we have a reason to always continue. We have no reason to quit. We have no reason to give up. Now, remember what I said. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was hard. But it's not complicated. It's not always easy to continue, but we never have a reason to not continue because God is with us and he will not forsake us. So God is calling us back to our foundations. Remember, the generation that is left, when the righteous depart from its foundations, what can we do? We can do nothing. So God's calling us back to our foundations, back to the basics of what it is to be the church and what it means to take the name Christian. We're in a war and our warfare is strong and our work is hard, but Christ has already won the victory and he has finished the work and we can go out rejoicing, knowing that we cannot lose, we cannot fail and that our hope in Christ cannot disappoint as we labor in the power and the reality of his finished work. This is the promise of God. This is the promise Paul writes about in Romans 5. So in his grace, we are to seek to magnify Christ in all our life, even even in our death. Paul writes in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, and whatever you do, do it heartily 
as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So whatever we do, we are to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And that is to be true in life as well as in death. Paul writes in Philippians 1.19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but in all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. In the strongest way I can, I challenge you to find his joy and to live your life in him to the fullest. And when Christ calls you home, you will be assured that he was magnified in your life and that he will be magnified in your death. And may Christ be our greatest joy and our greatest glory. So let us continue joyfully, steadfastly, daily in those things that are basic to Christ, basic to his church and basic to all who have taken the name Christian. Let us pray that God would add to the church daily. I would encourage you to pray that for Christ fellowship and for the church in general. God would add to the church daily those who are being saved so that Christ will be most glorified in his people and specifically that Christ will be most glorified in each of us. Christ will not be most glorified in his people until Christ is most glorified in each of us. And Christ will not be most glorified in you until you find your highest joy in him. If this has just become a labor for you, I would really encourage you to get on your face and seek the Lord and get in his word and wash your mind with his word until you get a breakthrough from heaven on high. Amen. Let us all stand. Father in heaven, very simply, we ask that you would see our heart that you would heal it, change it, make it new. By whatever manner, God, that you would be glorified through our hearts, through our lives, through your people. Change us, God. Bring a, bring a reformation, a revival, a freshness in us for the work of the kingdom, for the preaching and the living of the gospel, and for your great commission that you have called us and all believers to walk out. Thank you for the assurance of our forgiveness, for the promise that you hear our prayers, and for calling us to this great cause of your kingdom, this great cause of your gospel, to the cause of Christ. May we ever find new joy, new strength, and new desire. And may you ever be glorified in it all. We pray this in the matchless and wonderful name that is above all names. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.